evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. We are going to continue our Advent services. Christmas has come, but we will continue. Um, if I can remind you and refresh your memory, we didn't have our last Advent service due to the snow uh, right before Christmas. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and have that service tonight. And we, before Christmas, we were preparing for the coming of the Lord. And uh, we prepared by um, celebrating Advent by um, lighting candles. And we lit a candle of, of hope. We lit a candle of preparation. We lit a candle of joy. And tonight's Advent service, we are going to celebrate that in Christ we have love. And so um, let us stand as we prepare um, for worship this evening. And we're going to start and begin uh, with a um, responsive reading. But before that, uh, just to let you know, tonight our, our speaker for the evening is Dr. Dan Powers. Uh, we're glad to have him, <clears throat> Director of Bible and Theology here. So let us begin our, our service um, with a responsive reading from Titus. I'll, I'll read and you follow. It says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that time, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs loving the hope eternal life. Amen. And the kindness of love our God Savior appeared, He saved us, and we believe that this evening. Let us worship Him and give Him all the glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's wonderful to celebrate Advent in January, right? So either we're late for this Christmas or really early for next Christmas. Not sure, but we'll just take it as it goes. Um, before I begin, I want to introduce a special guest to our chapel service this evening. Professor Dorothy Brown is a professor emerita of music at Nazarene Bible College. She was involved in teaching the music department here at NBC from 1970 to 2002. For all of you who are mathematically challenged, and no, I do not need to see your hands, um, this means that she taught music and voice lessons for 32 years here at NBC. At the end of my sermon, Professor Brown is going to sing a song that I asked her to sing as a response to the message. I'd love to hear Professor Brown sing. And I'm so grateful that she agreed to come and sing for us this evening at the end of the message. Dorothy, I'd like you to stand if you would, and I'd like you to welcome um, Professor Brown with me. Thank you so much. I find it interesting to note the different vocabularies that we use around certain holidays. Have you ever paid any attention to this? For instance, what holiday do you think of when I say the words harvest, gratefulness, and blessings? Thanksgiving, right? Um, how about the words freedom, liberty, firecracker? Actually, it's Independence Day, 4th of July. It's funny, they used to ask them in Holland, do you guys celebrate the 4th of July? Well, sure we do. 
It's the 4th of July, right? But anyway, they, didn't, they did not celebrate Independence Day on that day. Um, how about the, uh, the holiday that goes along with the words love, romance, hearts, or even the number 14? Valentine's Day, right? Well, it's really no different with Christmas. There's such a unique vocabulary that's associated with our Christmas festivities. Words which are hardly ever heard at other times of the year become part of our everyday Christmas time expressions. Words like jolly, merry, hark, and even ho, ho, ho. I don't know if that's a word or three words, I don't know. But we hear them almost everywhere during Christmas time. But sometimes I wonder if we really understand what these special Christmas words mean. Reader's Digest magazine tells about a little four-year-old boy who was really impressed with the details of the Christmas story. Mommy, he said, don't you think it was nice of the shepherds to get all cleaned up before they went to see the baby Jesus? Well, the mother was a bit confused and asked, well, what do you mean, honey? The boy answered, well, you know that song, while shepherds washed their socks by night. Sometimes these Christmas words and expressions appear where we would really least expect them. You'll have to forgive me for this story, but I once read a story not too long ago which comes from out of the middle of red communist Russia. Apparently there was a man by the name Rudolf who was so extremely communistic that all his friends called him Red. Well, one morning Rudolf glanced out the window and remarked to his wife, I think it's raining outside. His wife disagreed with him and said, No, listen more carefully, Red. Can't you hear the patter on the roof? It's not raining, it's sleeting outside. No, the Russian man insisted. It's not sleeting, it's raining. His wife asked, well, how can you be so sure? He said, it's very simple, woman. Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. <laughs> you just never know when a Christmas vocabulary is going to show up. Okay. <laughs> Those of you who had me in class, you know what to expect from my jokes. It's all right. It's all right. But do we really understand the special words that surround Christmas? There are so many unique words that seem to intonate our Christmas sentiments. And when you really think about them, many of these words capture our highest hopes and our deepest wishes for Christmas. There are actually two passages I want to read um, for you or with you this evening. Um, The first is from Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And then I want to read several verses from John chapter 1. And I'd like you to stand with me as we read from our Lord's Word. First reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Luke 2, beginning with verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Then in John's Gospel, chapter 1, I want to start by reading verses 1 through 5. So John 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Then skipping down to verse 9. 
the true light that gives, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And it's my prayer that this evening as we think about your word and the incredible mystery here, that the glory of Christmas will become evident to us. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of those words that seems to reverberate so often within our ears during Christmas is the word glory. The angel choir sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. Righteous old Simeon spoke of Christ as the light of glory for Israel. Isaiah the prophet foresaw the glory of the Lord in the birth of the coming one. And John the Evangelist, whose words we have read in John chapter 1 this evening, revels in the miracle of Christ's birth with the words in verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But while we often talk about glory within our Christmas celebrations, sometimes I wonder if we really know what the glory is all about. What is the glory that we hear so much about at Christmas? What's the glory that we're supposed to see during this time of year? John 1.14 tells us that the glory of Christmas is that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. This evening I want us to stop and consider for a while what this glory of Christmas is really all about. First of all, when we look at this word glory here, we see the glory of Christmas is about the glory of the Word. It is about the glory of the living Word, the Word that was in the very beginning, the Word that was with God, the Word that was and is God. The glory of Christmas, first of all, is all about God. When we examine the glory of Christmas, we have to begin with God. No wonder so many people experience an emptiness at Christmas time. For without God, Christmas really has no wonder. Without recognizing God, Christmas is like an ice cream cone without the ice cream. Without God, there's just an empty shell at Christmas. John points out for us that the glory of Christmas is wrapped up in the glory of the Word, the Word which, was, which is God. I love the way that John utilizes creation language in his introduction of Jesus in his gospel. By using this language that echoes the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, John places the glory of Christmas into its right perspective. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The glory and wonder of Christmas is not something which was spontaneously dreamed up in the mind of God some 2,000 years ago in the days of Caesar Augustus. No, the miracle of Christmas was in the plan of God from the very, very beginning. John writes, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created. 
In the beginning was the Word, the glory of the Word, that is the glory of God, did not begin on Christmas morning when Jesus was born. No, the glory of God existed from the very beginning. The glory of God, the glory of the Word, is made evident through the creation. The first words of Genesis chapter 1 say, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John echoes the same truth in verse 3. Through Him, that is through the Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. The glory of God is made manifest through His creation. All things were made through Him to His matchless glory. So what is the glory that we see at Christmas? How is the glory of the Word, the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, how is that glory made manifest, made evident at Christmas? Well, at Christmas, we see once again a creation. At Christmas, we see once again God's power to create made manifest. We see the glory of God's ability, in a special sense, to create from nothing. For it is at Christmas that the prophetic words of Isaiah 7 come true. The virgin, did you catch that? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. At Christmas, we almost see once again a creatio ex nihilo, a creation from out of nothing. This is not to suggest that Christ was created at the birth of Jesus. John makes it very clear that this is not the case. Christ, the Word, always existed from the very beginning. But God's creative power is made visible in the baby that was born of a virgin. From the virgin birth, we see the glory of God's creative Word in action. There in the manger of Bethlehem, in the baby of a virgin girl, we see the glory of God revealed. For there in that feeding trough, God reveals none other than Himself. God reveals himself on Christmas. You see, the glory of Christmas is actually the glory of God himself, the glory of God revealed in the manger at Bethlehem. You know, the very word glory itself conjures up a picture of divine revelation, of divine self-disclosure. In the New Testament, the Greek word glory, one of its main meanings, depicts divine honor, divine splendor, or visible divine radiance. The glory of God, then, describes the self-revelation of God Himself. When the angels sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, their words implied God has revealed Himself again. Come and see the revelation of God's glory in the manger at Bethlehem. And you know what? God did reveal Himself in Bethlehem. Certainly the glory we see at Christmas time is the glory of the Word. It is the glory of God Himself revealed before us once again. But the glory we see at Christmas goes deeper than just the glory of the Word. Its significance for us goes beyond just the realm of the glory of God. For you see, the significance of the glory of Christmas is not that the glory of God was revealed for the first time. No, the Old Testament is full of accounts of the self-revelation of God. In fact, I think we could accurately describe the Old Testament as being written about the glory of God, namely, the self-disclosure of God to a seeking people. 
in the same way that God has always existed, with no beginning and no end, so also is His glory ever-present. In the Old Testament, we read that God's glory led the people out of Egypt. God's glory filled the temple where the people worshipped. We are told that His glory engulfed Mount Sinai when He gave the Ten Commandments to the people through Moses. The book of Exodus even tells us of the moment when Moses was allowed to view the backside of God's glory from out of a cleft in a rock. Now the significance of Christmas is not that the glory of God was revealed for the first time. Portions of God's glory had been revealed many different times in the Old Testament. But the significance of the glory of Christmas is contained in the method of God's revelation. The glory of Christmas first is the glory of the Word, the glory of God Himself. But second, the glory of Christmas is about the glory of the Word made flesh. It's made flesh. What mystery surrounds the words where John writes, the Word became flesh. The Almighty God, with all His power and strength and majesty, God became flesh. God became a man. But why did the Word become flesh? Why did God have to display His glory in such an ultimate way? With our eyes of faith, we can see God's glory all around us, can't we? Can't we see God's glory? As believers, we see God's glory everywhere. We see God's glory in the stars. We see God's glory in the mighty mountains that surround us here. We can see and hear God's magnificent glory in the roaring of the oceans. All of God's creation seems to point to the great glory of the creative word of God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth. But with our enlightened eyes of faith, we sometimes forget the blackness of sin and the blindness of night. Before the word, before the glory of the word became flesh, the darkness of sin seemed to have triumphed. Despite many, God's many revelations in the Old Testament, His glory was recognized by actually only a minute few. For those who lived in darkness, it was as if God didn't exist at all. It seemed like God was completely silent, that He was nowhere. But the glory of Christmas, the glory of the Word made flesh, changes all that. There's an old story about a man who did not believe in God at all. This man also happened to be an invalid. And because of his sickness and infirmities, he was very bitter about God. Because he was not able to take care of his daughter, he sent his young daughter to live with friends. And while she was with them, then they taught her how to read. When she came home to visit, this young girl proudly told her father, Papa, I have learned how to read. Well, he said, let me hear you read that. And he pointed to a board at the foot of his bed on which he had printed in large, bold letters, God is nowhere. Well, carefully the young girl spelled out the words in the way that seemed right to her. God is now here. This is precisely what takes place at Christmas. The glory of God became flesh. The God who at one time had seemed to be so far away as to be nowhere is now here. It wasn't enough for His glory to be evident to just a minute few. So God became flesh so that all people might see His glory, so that all people might be able to look to Him and receive His light, 
and his salvation. Through Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father is made known. Through Jesus Christ, the darkness and night and lostness of sin now has a solution. In verse 4 of our passage, John writes, In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. And in verse 9 we read, The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. The glory was revealed beforehand to Isaiah so that he prophesied, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The glory of Christmas is the dawning of the light of men. The word became flesh so that God's light could shine upon all people. God became flesh that his glory could be known by anyone who would receive him. And to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become his children, children of God. So what's all the glory about? The glory is about the word, about God himself, a God who became flesh. At Christmas, the word became flesh. But there's also a third element which makes the glory of Christmas so significant for us. Not only did the word become flesh, but the word made his dwelling among us. God lived with us. As significant as it may seem to hear that the word became flesh, it would mean practically nothing for us if he had not lived among us. God did not just dress up in the wrappings of humanity like you would for a costume party. God became flesh. God became a man. And he lived the life of a man. God lived among us. Several years ago, I read an amazing story in the newspaper. It seems that the mayor of San Diego, a woman by the name of Maureen O'Connor, became very concerned about the many homeless people in her city. She felt like she wanted to help them, but she wasn't exactly sure of what the homeless people really needed. She wasn't even sure of how the homeless people were living or they, how they were surviving. Well, I'm not sure where she got the idea, the courage, but she came, became so concerned about the homeless people and their needs that she put on old clothes herself. Then she went and lived among the homeless people for three days and three nights in order to find out what it was really like to be homeless. Newspapers and television stations around the nation picked up the story. And the episode of a caring mayor was recounted with amazing, with great amazement and wonder. Well, this is what God has done for us as well. The infinite God took the finiteness of humanity upon himself, and he lived among people. He experienced life at its most challenging level as a regular, ordinary, poor man. The God of the universe was reduced to a poor, ordinary carpenter's son. This is what the glory of Christmas is really all about. It's about a God who cares and loves so much that he came himself to help. He had already sent his leaders. He had sent priests and teachers and prophets. But now at Christmas time, he came himself. Paul describes God's condescension in Philippians with these words. I love this passage. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness.
The glory of Christmas is the eye-opening revelation of a God who truly loves. A God who loves and cares so much about our lives that he came as one of us to live with us so that he could truly be able to understand us and to help us. You know, people think of God in so many different ways. Some see him as a neutral force overlooking the world. Some perceive God as a wrathful being waiting for anyone to step out of line so he can condemn them. Others see God as a doting grandfather figure who doesn't really grasp what our lives are really all about. Others view God as completely indifferent to the events and occurrences of this world with its many emotions and problems. But all of these conceptions miss the actual nature of God. While God is a God of mighty power and purity, he's also a God of limitless compassion. And his love and concern for his people is so great that he himself became flesh and lived for a while among us. You may have heard the story, but I want to share it with you. Reverend Carter had been working hard on his Christmas sermon when the floor mother appeared at his study door. Christmas Eve was especially difficult for emotionally disturbed children who did not get, it, who did not get invited to return to their homes at Christmas time. And those left in the church's school always noticed the change in the routine and the hard, bitter realities that these children faced of a family that did not want to see them at all, even at Christmas. The minister followed the floor mother up, to the, up the stairs to deal with Tommy. It seemed that Tommy had crawled under his bed and when it, it would not come out for any reason at all. Not even a toe was showing from beneath the small bed. Well, Reverend Carter began to talk, addressing himself to the cowboys and bunking broncos on the bedspread. He talked about the brightly lighted tree in the church vestibule next door, the wrapped packages, and all the, good, the other good things that were waiting. If only Tommy would come out from beneath his bed. There was no answer. So the pastor dropped to his hands and knees and he lifted up the bedspread. He was met with two large blue eyes. It would have been no effort at all for him to simply pull the little fellow out from beneath the bed. But it wasn't pulling that Tommy needed. It was trust and a sense of deciding things on his own. So crouched on all fours, Reverend Carter launched into the special Christmas menu and the stocking with Tommy's name on it, filled with special surprises. But he was still met with silence. At last, the pastor got down on his stomach and he wiggled beneath the bed beside Tommy even snagging his suit jacket in the process. He just lay there with his cheek pressed against the floor for a long time, looking at the child and talking about the story of Christmas. And when he ran out of words, he just waited beside the little boy silently. Finally, the small hand of a little lad crept into the hand of the pastor. But now Reverend Carter was in no hurry. He had his Christmas sermon. Flattened on the floor, he realized that God had done the same thing for us. But we would not listen. So God drew closer. He sent his prophets, his kings and judges, his lawgivers and holy men. He spoke with his face to face. But we did not listen very well. So finally God himself stooped to earth and gave us Jesus. God literally crawled in beside us in our fear, loneliness, frustration, and sin. 
And he would speak to all the Marys, the Josephs, the Herods, the Tommies, and tell us the story of Christmas that awaits us if we will but come out from under the bed. You see, the glory of God is so visible at Christmas because the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. This Christmas time, we need, to, we need to observe Jesus and behold His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is what the glory is all about at Christmas. It is the glory of our Father's great love for us. While we were still sinners, Paul tells us, Christ died for us. What a glorious love. This is what the glory of Christmas is all about. It's about glory in the highest form. It's about the glorious love of Christ who came so that we might have and experience the full glory of God's salvation. O glorious love of Christ, my Lord divine, that made him stoop to save a soul like mine. Through all my days and then in heaven above, my song will silence never. I'll worship him forever and praise him for his glorious love. This is the glory of Christmas. Praise his name. And so what do we do? Through all our days and then in heaven above. Right? Our song will silence never. And so we go singing that song. We'll worship him forever. And we go with worship in our hearts. And we praise him for his glorious love. Praise be to him. You are dismissed with the glory of Christmas.